And welcome back to the Ordinary Saints podcast. Uh, I'm here with Richard, or Richard is here with me, rather, and we are trying a new thing where we record over Zencaster online. So we're not actually together, uh, which is a new experience, but here we are. Yeah, well, you know, together in spirit, even Indeed. if not together in person. So uh, yeah, a slightly different approach. Um, definitely our preference uh, would be to be sitting down and having a chat together because, you know, it's always nice to have a catch-up, which is one of the reasons we do this podcast is because we get to yak about all sorts of things. The reality is we're still in lockdown. Since the last podcast dropped, it's been almost three months. And uh, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I never imagined it was going to last this long. Oh, no way. I remember thinking this is going to be a snap lockdown, you know, one week. Yet here we are three months later and it's taken a toll. Yeah, it has. Again, I, I think back over that three months and I think, like you, uh, you know, I had a birthday in September and early on in lockdown, I was thinking, ah, oh, do I send an invitation out to people to invite them to come and celebrate my birthday? And then I was like, ah, oh, um, maybe not. Oh, it's touch and go. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. And I kept procrastinating. And it's really funny to look back on that now that yeah. I seem to think that was even a possibility because uh, <laughs> it very definitely did not happen. <laughs> no, because here we are in November. <laughs> the current rules uh, here in Aotearoa in Auckland, because of course that's the other big thing that's changed is that our approach has become more regional. But here in Auckland, uh, our biggest city, the rules are different to other parts of even the Diocese of Auckland and other parts of New Zealand. So we're still in the, the tightest form of lockdown, but we still have rules now where we can go to the park with quite a lot of people, isn't it? It's up to 25, 25 yeah. people who aren't in our bubbles, uh, so long as we're outside, so long as we're socially distanced, but we can't go into other people's homes and a whole thing, bunch of things like that. And in fact, uh, school is yet to go back in Auckland. Uh, it will be going back for primary schools. Oh, sorry, secondary schools are back, but primary schools not till halfway through this week. So uh, all sorts of strange changes and things continue to be in flux and and that looks like it will be for the rest of the year. Yes, so as a consequence of all of this, uh, it's been difficult for this Ordinary Saints community because we haven't really been able to catch up in person. Um, we're only just starting to think about how we're going to do that because before that it was obviously wasn't safe. So in the meantime, we've been doing Zooms, we had a watch party, and we've been exchanging packages at some point, which has been quite cool, by a snail mail, the, the, the post. All of this is to say that it, it just is so different, you know, and I don't know if I'm ever going to adapt to this reality. What, do you, what about you, Richard? How have you been finding it in terms of the Ordinary Saints community? Yeah, I'm still struggling to work out what the new normal is. I, I guess there's a big part of my mindset right throughout this three months of lockdown has been, I'm just waiting to get back to normal. It makes me go, I need to start thinking about this differently because this is going to carry on for quite some time. Vaccination rates have gone up right across our community, but you know, there's a big juggle, right? Because kids under 12 aren't vaccinated. So if we were to meet together as a community, do we include them? Um, you know, a whole lot of things that will impact on not just ordinary saints, but every religious community uh, and some 
hard decisions are going to have to be made. I'm only beginning to think through some of those things now. Yeah, I've been a part of cluster group meetings, um, you know, with clergy across the diocese and it's been really, really hard to hear some of the serious contentions that are coming up in, in communities around vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And this podcast is not going to become a big <laughs> expose on all of those different opinions, but it's just to say that it's such a tricky time to understand what is the way forward for us as a church here in terms of gathering versus not gathering versus vaccinated, unvaccinated, online services, in gathering. You know, there's so many different components to this next season and it's really difficult to find a way forward. Yeah, and I think probably the thing that I will always come back to is what's the most inclusive model that we can do in this time? Often I've thought about inclusivity as being about allowing people all equal access and so on, but now there's this health component to that as well, which is sort of new. It's a new thing in the mix. How do we uh, attend to everyone across our community? How do we make space for those who are still vulnerable because there are still vulnerable people in our community? And yet there's also this really strong desire to kind of get back into things and for those who are able and willing to meet to do that. So it is a lot of competing things to to hold together. And I haven't got any firm answers on that yet, but I'm definitely thinking about it. Yeah, I think we all are, eh? And we're all trying to find the best way forward. And as you say, I really like the the phrase you used about what is the most inclusive way forward. Um, And I think that's the question on everyone's minds, you know, is because, and the tricky thing is, is that whatever we do at this point, there's always going to be people who are excluded. Um, you know, and because, you know, even if there's a group of vaccinated people and we use vaccination certificates, then those that don't have them can't come. But also if we have a mixed gathering, then some vaccinated people won't want to come and also we'll have limited numbers as well to that. So I think whatever we do, we're going to have an element of exclusion going on. And that's a really uncomfortable place for us to be as the church. Yeah, it really cuts against what I believe church should be. Which And I do use those words carefully because I believe it's what church should be and I acknowledge that often church isn't. Yes. Um, often churches are really exclusionary places and lots of it, I've experienced that exclusion myself and I certainly have many friends who have. I'm really keen that churches are always as welcoming to the full breadth of the community, always. Like for me, that's something I, I really strive for. And so, as I say, having to make these some of these tough calls really hurts it's it's a hard thing to do to say we're going to have to draw some boundaries somewhere knowing that when we draw a boundary there'll be some people on one side of it and some people potentially on the other and that's not a good feeling no it's not at all and of course the you know the response in the meantime to all of this has been to go predominantly online because that's that's been necessity you know we've had to do that this is a good point for us to stop and reflect a little bit on that experience because I think there's been a lot of talk around for example we had a synod uh, just the other day and we had a motion about you know continuing this online presence it was a really good discussion um, probably cut a little bit short in my opinion though but it was really good to be thinking about this in terms of how we're going to carry our digital learnings forward but I think there's so much work that still needs to be done here in terms of what it is that we're doing when we digitally gather. And I think it impacts us too. You know, these last few months have really showed us that. And Richard, I know that you've been really keen to talk about some of this. Um, I posted an article called, there's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. So that was the article that I posted. And there's a whole bunch in there, but I know that it resonated with you, Richard. So yeah, let's hear a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I, it was an article I really appreciated. Look, a lot's happened in the last three months, but there was very much uh, a point where, you know, we've all had to make some hard decisions. And for me, because I've got children at home, I had to make a decision to cut back on some parts of my uh, professional life uh, in order to support them in their homeschooling. Basically, what that means is my PhD work has gone on hold. I'm hoping I'll be able to get back to that in December, but you know, it remains to be seen uh, if that's feasible. I was able to maintain my teaching because I have a teaching job uh, with Trinity Methodist College. I was able to deliver classes online uh, and got through that, which again, that's another thing we might come back to because that was really hard going mm-hmm. <laughs> to teach um, online and to, to read teaching two courses online was, uh, was full on. But uh, I reached a point where, particularly around my thesis work, where I was wanting to spend some time not actually doing work on it because I'm not allowed to uh, because it's suspended at the moment, but to think about how can I reconfigure the project so that I could get back to work. And as I was thinking about how I could do that, I just found it very, very hard to think about it at all. Um, it was a real challenging thing just to sit down and go can I even find the energy to contemplate how this might happen or how I might be able to reconfigure it or what's the pathway back towards engaging in this in a meaningful way and I had a couple of days where I got really low because I was really really struggling I had some space to to think but I I just couldn't bring myself to actually do it and it was right at that time Sarah that you posted that article and it was really helpful it hit me at a really timely moment Uh, and it talked about this concept of languishing of the idea of not being able to focus of basically being in the state of uh, of stress kind of low level stress which makes it very hard to concentrate for periods of time and to get into well, the opposite of languishing which is a flow state and it also helped me identify I know to get into a really good workflow what I actually really require is silence and solitude those are two things that are really helpful to me in my work life and they're just two things that aren't part of life at the moment uh, because I share a space with a family, a large family, as it happens, and long periods of concentration on my own thing, uh, it's just not available. So it was helpful in the sense of uh, it didn't help me get through how am I going to get back into my study or any of those things, but it helped me identify what was actually going on and to go, actually, maybe I just need to be more patient. I've just got to wait until I can get to that place where I can focus back in on on my study. Yeah, that's a, that's really good. I mean, I can completely identify with all of the things you're saying. You know, I found myself moving into this period of, and it describes this in the article, actually. You know, it's not, I'm not in burnout. I'm not depressed, but I'm not thriving. I'm not in a flow, as you say. And there's a great quote in this article, and it says, languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're looking at life through a foggy windshield. And then the article goes on to say, this may be the dominant emotion of 2021. It's interesting because it says, you know, as well in here that, you know, that the writer was saying friends had mentioned they were having trouble concentrating. And even with vaccines on the horizon, so with hope, right, that we're going to get back into things, they weren't excited about 2021. And I think this really harks back to this the strange stagnation that we're in. In terms of my experience, I found that actually it was it was about a lack of routine, a lack of rhythm, uh, a lack of being able to move to different spaces. I think that's really important for me, you know, being able to go to a different place uh, and to, you know, because when I move around, it sparks creativity 
and various different lines of thought. Um, and so having to stay in the house with the same group of people whom I love dearly, mm. but you know, the kids aren't at school, so they're always there. And there's a lot of challenges around that as well. And, you know, just the stagnation of my physical environment, actually, I was finding to be you know, contributing to this feeling of looking through a foggy windshield. You know, there wasn't really much new stuff coming in. And I found that really tricky. To be honest, the only way new things were coming in was via a screen. And mm. uh, that I found difficult too, because I found that, you know, I was getting migraines very often because of all the screen time I was having. I found that I had to cut down on FaceTime because I was struggling with watching a screen so often. So I cut back and went more to audio, you know, so that I could look out the window while I was having Zooms or FaceTime calls. So I guess my main point of input was via a screen and that was becoming very fatiguing for me. Mm. Yeah, so it's tricky to sort of put your finger on exactly what it is that's causing this languishing experience. But I absolutely identify with everything you said, Rich, and have found it really, really tough. Yeah, certainly one of the points you made there was that difference of, look, we've talked in previous podcasts, I'm, I'm someone who has experienced depression a, a number of times throughout their life, and I knew something was not sitting right, but I also knew it wasn't depression. Uh, I wasn't feeling bad and awful, I was just feeling sort of blah. Yeah. And you're right, it is that, that sense of hopelessness, and again, that point you make about 2021, I'm looking at 2021 going, oh, I've got so much work to catch up on, <laughs> you know, but all of my deadlines, which were like, is hilarious, isn't it? I, I had to write a, a report, uh, an academic report, the week before we went into lockdown. And as part of that, I had to include all of my timelines for the next 18 months, oh, goodness. which are all completely redundant at this point <laughs> in time. None of them make any sense. And it's just been awful as each month ticks over and going, that's another month when I haven't hit any targets. Yeah, um, yeah. And it is that thing of, look, I'm a personality type that is driven. Uh, I like to be achieving. I like to be able to write the list and say, yes, I've ticked off this many things today. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward. And to be, yeah, in this place of languishing, not a good time. No. Uh, not a good time at all. And like you, the screen connection stuff, I, I do value it. I, I always appreciate it. Like when we've had our uh, Ordinary Saints get-togethers, I... I do go, look, I'm going to go to it because I know it's good for me. I know it's good to connect with some other people. We share some laughter, share some connection. All those things are really helpful for me. But I find I can't do it for long periods of time anymore. And I have to really tell myself, look, you need to go and do this. Mm. Um, because my natural inclination is to go, oh, I just don't have the energy anymore. I would I would rather be, I mean, interestingly, I'm reading books is, is more engaging and it's more helpful and it's away from screens, which is kind of nice. My only problem was that I, I ran out of books in the series that I was reading. So, you know, that, that's proved its own little hurdle. Yes, Richard, you've been great um, dropping off a couple of new books for me to read, actually. Um, so thank you for that. I, I agree. Reading for me, especially not on a screen, has been really helpful. In a way, it opens me up to a world in my imagination, um, regardless of w w what I'm reading, and helps me to engage with the world in that way. 
Uh, and I know that sounds strange because you'd think that when we're, you know, face to face on screens that we would be engaging more with our world, right? But I found that actually it was it was really, really tricky. I guess part of it's grief for me. I think I'm missing the 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 kind of natural I I don't know if natural is the right word, but when you're in a room together, there's a vibe. I'm gonna use very different non-scientific language here. We're looking at each other, we can move around the room easily, we can exchange banter. And I think banter mm. is something that I'm missing uh, because on Zoom, there's always a bit of a delay. There's always people that are wanting to talk at the same time. And that sort of plays against banter in its natural form, I think. One of the things as well that I'm struggling with is, is eye contact. I think when you're on Zoom, you're in a constant state of receiving and giving eye contact, which is mm. really unusual. I think when you're in a room, you can your eyes can dart around and you're not looking at every single person all the time. And I, I've found that quite exhausting. And this isn't to say that Zoom isn't good. I think that Zoom has been an incredible tool for us and continues to be a good tool for, for many people. I've had some feedback recently that, you know, because of Zoom and, and lockdown and struggling to get out of the house uh, in the normal circumstances, that Zoom has been a really life-giving tool. So I'm not to say that it's not good. I'm just sharing from my own experience um, that, that it's been something that's been a hurdle for me. And I, I agree, um, Richard, I've felt I've had to psych myself up for Zoom calls, especially when sort of delivering content, you know, like at our Ordinary Saints gatherings, it's been really cool. We've gone through different contemplative practices, which has been fantastic. But delivering the content is tricky because I'm not in a room with a bunch of people and there's not that that ability to do feedback in the same way opening up for questions in zoom is real different to opening up to questions when you're in a room with people and you've got a hot beverage in your hand and you're sitting in a circle and you're able to share more freely and the conversation can flow more freely I've really missed that and I remember you Richard were saying that it's been difficult for you delivering your classes in a similar way is, is that right that you haven't actually seen people that you've been delivering to yeah it's it's really tough teaching <laughs> because I use a lot of presentation software and presentation software is great when you're in a lecture theatre and I can park my laptop up the front of the class and I can have a great big, these days normally a screen uh, rather than a projector, but I have a, you know, a large screen which I'm hooked into so my students are able to look at the screen and I'm able to look at them and there's a whole kind of physical aspect of teaching face-to-face -face and a level of engagement which is really different, which kind of disappears on Zoom because uh, when I'm teaching via Zoom, Zoom sort of, sort of runs in the background and largely what I'm looking at is just my presentation and I'm not able to see the students. It does diminish a level of engagement and I have to work really hard to go in and out of the presentation in order to get that feedback and so on. And look, the result of that is because I'm having to work so much harder at managing that engagement with students and to be bringing uh, quite a high level of energy to do it, it's really, really exhausting. Mm. And it's interesting because I find when I'm in the classroom, now I'm an introvert, but I find teaching is really energizing. So I get that that's strange because normally as an introvert, I find, uh, you know, being alone to be really energizing. <laughs> uh, but I do love being in the classroom and I, I love the engagement. I love the rapport uh, and that sense of connection. And teaching purely online, I've lost that. And I find that, yeah, the, the energy is all going out there into the world. And I I just don't even know how it uh, how it's received. Mm. I've had a couple of occasions where I've actually preached in, in church services on on online services, and it's the same thing. When you, when you normally preach in a church, 
you can make eye contact with people. You can really see how people are engaged and so on. And it's it's just not the same experience on Zoom. No. And then there's the morning tea afterwards <laughs> where, we, you know, we can chat in, in groups of people and it's it's quite a fluid exchange, isn't it? You can sit and you can move your posture and you can read people's body language uh, a lot more easily. And same goes for when you're preaching, eh? That you can see how people are receiving what you're saying. And sometimes in preaching as well, one of the things I love to do is just to pivot. If you're feeling like people are, you know, not responding or whatever, you, you can pivot and you can meet people where they're at. I personally do that by watching, you know, by watching how people are responding. Mm. And so that's something that we don't, that I can't do very easily on Zoom. And you're right, you sort of come to the end of a Zoom session A and you just don't know where it landed or how it landed. Uh, and yeah. it's really difficult to to sort of get that feedback. So it does feel like you're you're giving a lot of yourself and you're not really receiving any of those uh, feedback signals, which would normally be quite energizing. Yeah. So it's, it's a tricky situation to be in. That said, I'm really glad that so many churches have come to grips with, with some forms of social media. Mm. And I hope that we as a church really provide some really good professional development around these skills going ahead so that this can actually become part of what people continue to offer in the future. Because again, it's that thing of inclusivity, mm. right? Yeah. That there are some avenues and there are some possibilities around, you know, Zoom technology and so on that can enable people to be gathered in a way that they weren't before any of these lockdowns happened or this pandemic changed all of our lives so I am hopeful about that but I also know to do digital stuff and to do it really well requires a really major investment and again I think coming out of this we need to be really mindful of where people's energy levels are going to be at it's been pretty taxing for us here in Auckland anyway yeah and I think you know in the synod motion that Peter Lynham brought forward which was very good he sort of said the key is actually about sustaining yeah and I think that is a major piece here to be thinking about is how can we sustain it? To what degree? I was actually talking to uh, some people within Adjust, you know, Diocese of Auckland, Young Anglicans for Social Justice, and thought about this idea that we're throwing around at the moment around maybe a workshop around digital communications 101, you know, inviting some young people to talk about um, social media, because the majority of people, of younger people, aren't actually on Facebook these days, they're on Instagram or on other forums such as Snapchat or TikTok. And so looking at where people are, uh, the kind of content that engages people as well, and what is and isn't possible online. I think that's another another step to perhaps for this working group to think about things like sacramentality. You know, how do we carry uh, our understanding of that into this online dimension? And what does it mean to be community? And what does it mean to, sorry, that's my dog scratching himself in the background. What does presence mean as well? Because we talk about an online presence, but as we know, that's a really different word to, if we're talking about pastoral care and pastoral studies, as to what the word presence means, a ministry of presence. So how do these things intersect? You know, they're not, they do intersect, but how, where, and how do we sustain that uh, in a way that's helpful for our communities would be, would be some of the questions on top for me. And I think there are a bunch of other questions that come up for me too, in terms of, we've identified that, that lots of this media can be really helpful, and it might be a really great supplement to what pre-existed in, around parish ministries and other ministry units. But I do also go, well, the last thing I think I would like to see is for every ministry unit to think they now have to produce a stunningly brilliant YouTube channel with hundreds of views every week. Mm. 
Um, so I think we all need to look, well, think a little bit more carefully about what success around digital media in the religious context is and how we can collaborate. Again, we have so many people out there doing things, but how many are working together and saying, actually, we can share the load on this. We can still provide something that's really meaningful for a number of people, but in a way that's not, again, completely draining and burdensome to us uh, in the future. I agree. I think a degree of a good degree of collaboration would be really important going forward. I hope that this working group or whatever would, would look at that in terms of how can we adapt our diocesan presence to this and, and our resources to this. It doesn't mean that you know it all lands on one person or a few people, but you know, a way that we can all collaborate together to produce a consistent online presence, but without draining individual parishes of their time, resources and energy. I think that's that's really key as well. Good point. And I just think it's really important that we remember that even if, Sarah, you worship in one parish and I worship in another and we're also attached to different communities and so on, that these groups are not in competition with each no. other. They're all offering something different. And again, so much of the digital world is built on competition, on I'm doing the most polished, I'm doing the brightest, shiniest new thing, uh, and it all becomes about marketing and so on. As we've discovered through our journey with this podcast, so much of the podcast world is geared towards advertising and turning it into a, a revenue stream. Mm. And we've had to go, that's not what this is about for us. Um, this is about connection with our community. So again, I think there are a lot of traps around the digital world that if we're going to maintain presence in it, it requires some really careful thought. Yeah, that's a really good point. Just moving away from competition. And I think, you know, the digital world is really geared for that. You know, you put up a post, you get likes, you get views. It's a different kind of feedback to when you're in a room with people. And it can be quite, I think we've talked about this on a previous podcast, the the temptation to to want to up those likes, up those views. And that's not all bad, you know, like we want to be engaging with people, but it is, it can present a trap in the sense that sometimes our views and likes are disproportionate to what's going on in our communities. And so we need to be conscious of that. And there are just so many elements that need to be worked through and thought about here. It's interesting to look around the world, actually, isn't it? Because New Zealand, um, Aotearoa is behind in terms of our COVID experience, I think. You know, we've been really fortunate to keep the virus at bay for quite a long time. But now we're moving into this different period of time where the virus w will come into our communities and other countries around the world have experienced this already. Reading about uh, other churches' experiences around digital communications and how those have been helpful both in the peak of the pandemic for them and then also the kind of aftermath, you know, where more people are vaccinated and life has changed and people are being able to gather again um, albeit with restrictions and seeing how the digital world and churches particular has contributed both in these different seasons because I think we're a little behind there and so it'd be really good to continue to just keep our finger on the pulse in terms of what's happening around the world and what people have been finding. Yeah there's certainly a lot to think about uh, as we contemplate what life is going to look like for us after lockdown and how to use technology to use it well to use it in a way that supports our good work uh, and doesn't get us into a whole lot of trouble or mischief or who knows <laughs> yeah there's so much for us to, to be con contemplating at this point uh and so i really appreciate richard the time that you've given an, of your experience as well of these last few months and i hope that this can be 
a point of connection in terms of how you're feeling perhaps, um, but you might have some other ideas. And so we'd love to hear from you as well. You can email us at uh, ordinarysaintspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear some of your feedback and engage that perhaps in, in future podcasts. But yeah, hopefully we'll get into a bit better of a role here and we'll see you again soon. Well, you can listen to us again soon. Yeah, and just on that note, I want to say, yes, we have had a bit of a hiatus in the podcast. We hope you're still with us and that when this uh, podcast drops, it's a nice surprise and you're happy to hear from us again. It has been hard going and finding time and space to do recording uh, and to think deeply has been just something we've needed to kick into touch for a little bit. But yes, I'm hopeful too, Sarah. I've enjoyed catching up and having our chat today and uh, I hope we can get back to it and build up uh, some rhythm again before the end of the year. 